When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Welcome, I hope you had a good weekend. This is Football Social Daily, which would normally be looking back at a weekend full of goals and glory. But the most exciting football thing to happen this weekend was the really sweet left-footed back heel I scored against my six-year-old son in the garden yesterday. I'm Jim Salverson, this is Football Social Daily, but there is still plenty of Premier League news to discuss on today's podcast. To do just that, I've got Niall McCorn and Marley Anderson with me. Hello, gents. Hello. Hello. Niall, any footballing highlights from your weekend? Oh, goodness me. Not really, although I did enjoy Sky Sports uh, sticking it to Southampton by showing a 9-0 defeat to Leicester. And a 4-1 South Coast Derby defeat to Pompey back-to-back on Friday night. So that was quite enjoyable nice. to watch. But apart from that, uh, not too much to report. Marley, how about you? Uh, I'm just highly doubting that you scored a back heel against your son. Was it Was it? He's six. legitimate or did you not mean it? Did it just hit you? <laughs> no, he's six and I've got an absolutely massive football goal that takes up half my garden. So it's pretty difficult to miss. It means every shot's from like six yards out and he's like about a meat at all so it's pretty easy pickings to be honest great way to build up his confidence Jim (laughs) no prisoners no prisoners Uh, right there's plenty to talk about like I said including European football would appear to be greasing the wheels and preparing to get games underway once again but is football too focused on the money at the moment and not focused enough on the people involved? There's a real tough moral judgment to be made by the powers that be in the Premier League very soon when it comes to the return of football. We're talking about that. Everton have said they are appalled by Moise Keane after the Italian broke lockdown rules and held a house party in his flat. Could that be the beginning of the end for his time in Liverpool? And there's loads of transfer news as well. Arsenal, Manchester United and Newcastle gossip to get our teeth into and speaking of the northeast we're also going to take a look at the latest in the saudi takeover of newcastle united and where we're up to with that deal but let's start with the question that is being asked over and over and over and over and over again right now when's football coming back last week we were told the german bundesliga is preparing for a return at the start of may On the flip side of that, we were told that the Dutch League would not be completing their top division season. That has been cancelled. And now, today, Syria have said their teams are preparing for a return to training next week. Although that will be on an individual basis. What that means for the Premier League, we don't know at the moment. But we do know the government is holding regular meetings with a view to getting top flight sports not just the Premier League, but across the board, top flight sports, back on the agenda very soon with a view to basically lifting public morale a bit. We've been here before. We've discussed this before. There is no doubt we all want to see the return of football, but only if the conditions are right. But it is starting to feel like the Premier League will resume at some point in the next couple of months, doesn't it, Niall? 
Yeah, I think so. And do you know what? I'm going to steal something I said on the very first podcast we did on lockdown to answer your question of when will football return? The answer remains, I don't know. (laughs) It's still the exact same as it was a month ago when we uh, first embarked on this quarantine period. Although it must be said, today's Monday and this morning, the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, returned to work. He did a speech uh, and he outlined that the UK is getting closer Mm. to... Uh, suppressing the coronavirus. I think the words he used were the country is in the process of wrestling the virus to the ground. I hope that this doesn't encourage people to relax the social distancing measures that we've all you know, adhered to over the last month or, or so. Um, it would be such a shame to see all that hard work undone. He also mentioned in the speech the economy as well. And the longer things are shut down, the tougher it's going to be for people financially. And the economy is essential to a lot of people. And I think sport plays a big part in the economy. It's part of our culture. It's part of our identity as British people. Um, We're coming into the summer now. So the likes of Glastonbury in terms of music festivals, it's all part of our culture. All the music festivals are being cancelled. Wimbledon tennis is off. The golf is off. The cricket is off. But it does look like, from what you say, Jim, um, despite the fact that other leagues around the world have decided I mean the Dutch Eredivisie have decided to you know draw a line under the league as it is Um, but we have seen other leagues in countries that have been more devastatingly affected than ours for instance Italy, Serie A, La Liga in Spain have decided that they're going to try and and give it a go when the time is right and I think the words you use there when the time is right is the absolute key because we've seen over the last few days um, the likes of Graham Potter, the Brighton manager, saying he's actually uncomfortable discussing the resumption of the Premier League whilst people are still dying in hospital. So he he feels that it's it's just not right. I mean, you're going to have differing opinions on this, but it does feel like on the whole that people in those positions of authority and those stakeholders are putting their heads together and are accelerating plans to get the season back up and running again. So although the answer in the main is we don't know when the Premier League will restart, it certainly looks like from what the Prime Minister said today and from the noises that are coming from the media regarding Premier League meetings that we are edging closer to a potential restart. We do have to be respectful when we're talking about this and it comes against the backdrop of the UK death toll reaching 20,000 people over the weekend, which is a figure that just can't be ignored. I've said all along that I think the Premier League does need to be played out. I think any other scenario makes it incredibly difficult to look ahead to next season if you haven't completed the season beforehand. But I've kind of softened on that a little bit and I see the arguments about it being uncomfortable and disrespectful to even talk about resuming the Premier League right now. But I feel like the conversations tend to be about public safety and whether fans can get back into the stadiums, whether people will gather in public places to watch games. There doesn't seem to be quite as much regard around player safety. And we seem to forget sometimes that football players, despite the fact they are very highly paid and well compensated, are also people with families and elderly relatives and their safety is just as important as everyone else's, Marley. Yeah, it is. Um, the thing I think maybe people are forgetting about footballers is probably because they assume that they can get uh, testing if they want to because you remember when everybody was, was worried about, about getting it a few weeks back and um, panic buying everything off the shops. It was because they thought that there was no testing for them and they were seeing the elite people in society in, in England getting getting tested, for example, celebrities. Um, I remember Idris Elba got coronavirus and because he was he, he got himself a test when he didn't have it and people 
almost think that you know the rich and famous get tested when they want. So I think people are forgetting a little bit about footballers, probably assuming that they can have the uh, they can have the medical testing to uh, to get it to get the uh, the virus detected and then sorted out earlier than than the man on the street would. But we do forget that, and we forget how physical football is as mm. as well, maybe because. You know, if if the public have got to stay two meters apart, then then that's one thing. But you know, you can't mark someone in a football pitch. You can't stay two meters apart from from everyone because the game wouldn't be wouldn't be what it is. You know, and no one would be getting marked. Be, every game would probably finish twelve ten or something. Um, and you need to remember about that all the bodily <laughs> contact that goes on, all the tackles, all the marking from corners, for example. You can probably you've probably got eighteen players in a in a ten foot by ten foot sort of circle like radius kind of thing, so you have to you have to remember that you, you, this has to be safe. Um, maybe it, it'll come with something like um, you know the the players that are playing are also self isolating for a week prior to the match or something like that. Maybe mm. maybe if um, if it is going to come back, maybe there has to be something a bit drastic like that because you can't really. Um, you can't expect them to to stay two meters apart from from competitors and opponents and teammates and everything like that. So um, there's still a lot to be thought about with this whole situation before we bring it back. But in terms of being disrespectful to to people by talking about the the return of the Premier League, I don't really think it's I don't really think it's uh, disrespectful to to wonder when something's going to come back. I mean, people are wondering when the world's going to come back to normal. Um, Everyone's doing it. Everyone's trying to work out when when things are going to get back to some sort of normality, and that includes football fans. So I don't really understand why people say, "Oh, you, people are still dying." It's like, well, yeah, but people are probably going to still be dying for the next year. So what do you want to what do you want to do? Do you want to just carry on until absolutely nobody dies? Because the fact is that the numbers are, are flaky anyway. With with all the governments around the world, are, are people inflating or decreasing their numbers in terms of scaremongering and and things like that um we don't know so you can't really wait for it to completely die out because we literally that could be another year easily so you know there isn't that in my opinion there's no there's no harm in looking at when things are going to come back to normal and if you can bring them back to a norm a normal um way of like resuming while keeping everyone safe and that's the key fans if there is any players officials coaches all that sort of stuff then you can bring it back then why not i'm with you because it's one thing that actually quite annoys me uh, and, and i know we need to be sensitive in these times and i totally understand that some people feel that talking about when football is going to come back is disrespectful in regards to the current situation i also had a conversation with an nhs worker a couple of days ago they asked me how i was getting on i was like oh it's tough with no football but obviously it's nowhere near as tough as what you guys are having to go through and what other people are having to go through and she said oh you know I, I wouldn't be bothered if football didn't come back and I said well no I would because it's my job and it's part of my life and I think people do take that for granted sometimes football isn't just 22 blokes and a referee on a pitch kicking a bag of wind around mm. you do have people that are crafted jobs through the industry of sport and entertainment and football like myself like Marley, like you, Jim, it provides us with an income. 
And to wish that away is not as trivial as just saying, oh, I don't like football, so I wish it would never existed. So that that kind of annoys me because I understand in terms of the wider context of what's going on in the world, football and when it's coming back is probably an irrelevance. Yeah. It is probably trivial. But for people who are probably struggling to get by and maybe scraping the pennies together and rely on football, for instance, I'm talking freelance reporters, I'm talking about casual staff, match day stewards and things like that. Some of these people won't have picked up a paycheck for now coming on for two months and you take anyone's pay away for two months and they're going to struggle they're going to find it tough so that winds me up when people say oh football's unimportant we should just not worry about it no I think we should worry about it it's no different to the entertainment sector or the hospitality sector where you know people who work in pubs I mean, I could just say, oh, we should never open another pub again because I'm teetotal. I'm not. Mm. But if I had that opinion, people would look at me like I'm a bit strange. Say, well, that's not fair. What about the people that work there? That's how I feel about people saying they should not worry about football for now. I think the question is, is football as important as someone's life? No, it's not. Of course not. But is it important? Yeah, it is for a multitude of reasons. For the reasons you said, and because it does provide, mm -hmm. I think it was the UEFA president the other day that said it has a duty to entertain. And at the moment, maybe that isn't, Quite, isn't to be dismissed quite as easily as maybe it can be otherwise my concern is that it won't be 100% the right conditions for it to be brought back that it won't be 100% safe for example and that the decision that is made will come down to finances rather than safety but that is probably an argument that could be had across the world across many different sectors at the moment decisions will be made from a political level as much as a sporting level on a financial basis, on an economic basis, rather than 100% what is safer for everyone. Because if that was the case, we'd probably all stay locked indoors for the next 12 months. Yeah, I agree. And I think there needs to be a decision made with all of these things in mind, which makes it so difficult because everyone's got different opinions on it. And I think the decision makers in positions of power are going to be criticised no matter what option they take because it's impossible as we know to please everyone i think you're right i think the safety of people is paramount but at the same time we've seen these sort of protests in america for people suggesting well we're not getting paid you know we go back to work and it's just like well dying is worse than having no money i can tell you that for sure i mean that's that's a guarantee so you know there, there are going to be factors to this i do think though that as we say the safety of people is completely and utterly paramount but like you say football has a duty to entertain it's called the global game for a reason it's the most popular team sport in the world it provides entertainment to so many people um, and therefore I think it does have a place in our society and, and we do need to start thinking about when we can bring it back in in a respect not willy-nilly we do need to think mm. about this I do like Marley's suggestion of maybe having social distancing during the game, though, because Artu Matuaku at West Ham has been practising social distancing defending for a long, long time. <laughs> so he'd adapt to that perfectly. Uh, one person who clearly can't wait for lockdown restrictions to be lifted is Moise Keane, because there were pictures this weekend of the Everton striker that have been published in the Daily Star of him apparently holding a house party in his apartment. Now, the club have branded this behaviour as appalling, they will no doubt be taking some kind of further action down the line. What other action would be, we don't know. But could this be enough to see Moise Keane leaving Everton? He's had an inauspicious spell at the club so far, Marley. Do you think this could be an excuse to get rid? Well, it's not been the best, has it? Um, since he arrived, it's been yeah, it's one disaster after another. Um, the fact um, when he got uh, substituted after... Was it 18 minutes or something um, under Duncan Ferguson when 
after Marco Silva was sacked. Um, he cost yeah. 20, 20 million quid. He was expected to to uh, to do big things. Um, Graham Souness wrote him off before he um, before he even started by saying maybe he's got an attitude problem. And this whole situation's annoyed me a little bit because it's proved. Uh, well, he'll think it's it's proved that he was he was right, <laughs> but uh, is it because I was looking for examples of him being unprofessional before he signed and when Sooness said th- these things, and there was no evidence of it that I could find. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I just didn't find it, and there was, but I couldn't find any uh, anything like this at all. So um, it seems like he's it's one of them where if you throw enough mud, something will stick. Um, and he's he seems to have got this one mm. got this one right somehow. Um but obviously, you know, you got you gotta be stupid to do this, haven't you? I mean if you have a house party, everyone's got a phone. Somebody's gonna put something on some social media or send it to some someone who's not there on WhatsApp and then it's a simple case of selling it to a newspaper because nobody's got any money because nobody's got any jobs, so they'll accept the money. And the papers will buy it because they need to sell papers. So it's always going to get out. It's always going to be a silly thing to do. Um, so, you know, it's just it's just silly. He's, he's only a kid. He's only I think he's only 20. So you are going to make mistakes. But when, you know, when, when you're in the public eye like you are now uh, and you're already maybe a marked man in terms of if there's a question about how things are going to, gonna play out for you in in england um it's a really silly silly move to do really and uh you should have known better players are role models we need to remember that and we've had loads of discussions before about maybe unreasonable expectations being put onto players and i'm thinking about james madison when he was photoed in the casino on england duty all that kind of thing but this isn't an unreasonable expectation when it comes to Moise Keane's actions, particularly at a time when you've got the Prime Minister on telly urging people to stay patient with the lockdown. You've got someone who is acting not just dangerously, but also incredibly selfishly. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, the most shocking thing about this story is that the Daily Star actually got some information right for once in their newspaper. <laughs> but no, no, honestly, on a serious note, as you say... You mentioned that he's a role model and he should know better. He should, 100% should know better. Everton rightly are fuming with him about this and and so they should be. However, to play devil's advocate for a moment, I think this situation for Moyes Keane is slightly different, for instance, to what we saw Kyle Walker do with the two escorts that he had at his house in a similar situation where... The information was sold to a newspaper. We've seen here that Moise Keane has apparently filmed himself having a party in his own apartment. What I will say is, as Marley mentioned, Keane's had a tough time at Everton. Let's not forget, he doesn't speak English. He moved for a massive fee of £25 million for a 19-year-old who was pretty much unproven coming from a huge club. The expectations were high. I think that's weighed down on him. I know it's not his fault or anyone's fault for that matter, but I think that's weighed down on him. He's away from his family. He's very close to his mother, but of course his mother still lives in Italy. So this is a kid here who's moved over to Merseyside, moved to the Premier League at age 19 for a big price tag, doesn't speak the language, probably has found it difficult to settle down, has been substituted after 20 minutes of a game in which he's been substituted on. Hasn't really performed. I think he's got one goal 
in the Premier League since joining from Juventus. He was dropped for a disciplinary measure after being late by Marco Silva when Marco Silva was the manager. I'm not excusing Moise Keane here, but I can understand why he might have felt he could have kind of... I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's difficult. If you don't speak the language, you're alone in your flat, you're young, you've got a lot of pressure on your shoulders. It doesn't excuse what he's done, and I totally condemn what he's done. But I can understand why some people would come to the conclusion in their own heads that they're just going to say whatever I'm going to do it and I can understand that and unfortunately there are going to be people out there footballers included that do decide that that conclusion is one they want to come to I don't agree with it I totally agree with Everton in the fact that they condemn the situation I condemn the situation he shouldn't have done it and he should know better and I'm sure he'll be Mm. feeling terrible for it now knowing that the whole world is probably going to be putting more pressure on him now and he's kind of put himself again on the back foot after what we've seen this season but yeah I, I can I can feel a little bit more sympathy for Moise Keane than for example Kyle Walker Kyle Walker has got probably a bit more around him in terms of family, friends, a bit more of a comfort blanket. Whereas Moise Keane, I think, might be feeling slightly isolated away from home, away from family, still in England rather than in Italy, his native country. So, yeah, maybe maybe that would be me trying to find vaguely a clutching at straws for an excuse. Not that there deserves an excuse for this, because I do think that what he's done is uh, is not the right thing completely. It's interesting you compare it to Carl Walker, because I think you're right. I think the... The circumstances around it are very different, even if the actual actions are not. And I think you have to be careful to compare the two because actually, fundamentally, in terms of what they've done wrong, the same action has been taken. But it depends where your own personal lines are and your own personal moral judgments are and everything else, I guess. Yeah, for me, I think Kyle Walker personally deserves more criticism than Moyes Keane does despite the fact that they're both bad incidents and they've both broken the rules in a similar vein like you mentioned Jim but for the parameters that I just mentioned for Moyes Keane his age the fact he's away from his country away from his family doesn't really speak much English I think that probably plays more into the fact that Walker deserves more criticism because he doesn't have any of those things around him and he should know better. He's 10 years older than Keane. He's more experienced than Keane. So, yeah, I think maybe Mm. that would be where I would say Kyle Walker probably deserves more stick, but that's not up to me. I mean, mean, why should anyone be told who deserves more stick and it's not there's not a rolling scale you know you deserve seven out of ten on the stickometer that's not that's not how it works is it so um both are bad both will be punished accordingly i think um there will be repercussions for both players that's for sure interesting man city haven't actually taken any action after that incident of carl walker yet i think there might be a case of them hoping it kind of goes away by itself, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. Finally, Marley, you talked about Graham Souness's questioning of his attitude and that he might have been proved right in that scenario. We mentioned the fine that he received off Roberto Martinez for uh, turning up late to a team meeting. Is there a question over his attitude? Because 25 million quid for a player who is highly hyped in Italy being let go by Juventus Graham Sooners suggested it at the time. We kind of dismissed We kind of dismissed it a little bit with Graham Sooners just being Graham Sooners. But maybe there is a question mark there. Maybe he does lack something, and some players do just lack that right mentality to make it at the absolute top level. Well, the, there's a question mark there now, but the the whole point was that uh, there wasn't a question mark when Graham Sooners said there was a question mark. Um, it smacked of. Um, um, it, was, it seemed unfair when when Sunes, um originally came up with these things, but 
now there will be um, there will be a, a lingering image ma- image question over over Moise Keane. I mean, he's probably gonna get like thought of with the um, with the likes of Balotelli now. You know, with um, when Balotelli was in England, he was a he was a target for the press because he was a bit a uh, bit of a character and had parties and fireworks in his bathroom and all sorts of stuff. Um, the uh, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy all the stuff he had, but it'll probably be like that for Moise Keane now, and he'll have to be um, have to be clean keen from now on because uh, he's he's probably a marked man in terms of the press. The press will always be around his uh, his his house, his flat, whatever it is that. Um, and they'll be looking out for a, a cheap headline that they can pin on him and make his time in England a little bit worse. Um, I would have thought as well that Ancelotti would would have a, a little bit of, of an influence on him in terms of turning his uh, start at Everton around because he's um, he's you know he's the perfect character for him really it seems you know an experienced Italian manager who's managed every uh, every top player around the world in the last 20, uh, 20 or so years. Um, you'd mm. maybe hope that if anyone was going to get him out of this, this situation, then Ancelotti would be the perfect one you would pick. Um, but something has to change because he's not really been doing it on the pitch. I think he's only got uh, one or two goals since he, since he joined Everton. Uh, and now it seems to be falling apart off it. So whether it's a case of, of getting some family over to support him and, and make him settle in a little bit easier then maybe that's uh, something he can look at but for now you're on your own and you have to do you have to do better than this you'd imagine that or you'd hope that even the appointment of Ancelotti would make him want to stay at the club as well make him want to knuckle down and kind of prove himself because it's not often you get a chance to play for a manager who is absolutely at the top of his game so it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out and whether Everton actually see players like Moise Keane as part of their future or whether they have a little bit more cash to spend in the summer transfer market. It's summer transfers we're going to talk about next, actually, because we're going to look at a couple of the deals that are doing the rounds in the transfer rumour stakes and also some predictions as to how the summer transfer market might pan out. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is a, well, normally a daily Premier League podcast, giving you all the latest news and views from the English top flight. We're trying to do three a week at the moment to keep you in touch with everything that's going on in the world of football. Once the Premier League is back up and running, we will be as well. So make sure you click subscribe, never miss a podcast and be ready for when football does return. We're going to talk about the current transfer market now, which may or may not be as active as perhaps we're used to. There's been a load of suggestions recently that big money deals simply won't happen this summer window it's going to be swap deals it's going to be free deals it's going to be loan deals and it is going to mean a quieter window as well because loan deals and swap deals are much tougher to negotiate than big money deals just slapping a load of cash on the table we've also seen Ed Woodward at Manchester United say that he thinks Manchester United will be tightening the purse strings and if they're tightening the purse strings surely everyone is going to be as well but I mean that statement from Ed Woodward I guess when you look at it, Niall, saying that we've got no money to spend could just be a negotiating tactic because Manchester United are used to getting bent over a little bit when it comes to transfers. 
Yeah, I think because Manchester United are still the global heavyweight of a football club that they are, they are going to get squeezed for a bit more cash. And I think it's happened with Chelsea more regularly than any club in the Premier League in terms of being squeezed for cash. I think we see it a lot with Premier League clubs. They get charged a little bit more than maybe a different club in a different country would be just purely because the Premier League, everyone knows, is a bit of a cash cow. Everyone knows that Premier League clubs are rich in terms of um, dipping their toe into the transfer market. As for Manchester United, I think that's just sensible. I really do. They've continued to pay matchday staff, casual staff as well, until what would have been the end of the season. They're continuing to pay them. They've actually conducted themselves fantastically throughout this whole COVID-19 outbreak, considering what some of the other clubs have done in terms of furloughing staff and then the decisions being U-turned and some of the other sort of PR gaffes that the Premier League clubs have made. I want to say huge credit to Manchester United, who are often labelled as the stingy club and stuff like that, not in terms of transfer fees, but certainly in terms of elsewhere, for example. And I think they've been absolutely brilliant during this. However, Mm. as with any situation like this, you are going to feel the pinch and it's just like any business. Manchester United's outgoings of their business are probably bigger than the majority of clubs in the Premier League due to the size of the football club. So to spend less on transfers is understandable. However, it just depends what the price is. And I I don't think we'll know the state of the market until we see the first few rumours coming in. So, for instance, we're still seeing rumours about Coutinho going to Chelsea for, what was it, 75, 80 million? Now, Coutinho hasn't performed for a couple of years and yet he's still being linked for around 80 million quid. Now, for me, that doesn't feel like a dip in the market at all. That feels like the market's staying where it is. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. I think the first couple of transfers and first couple of transfer rumours that we see when the window officially opens will really be a marker and will really be a beacon to us in terms of letting us know what the situation is. Um, But Manchester United maybe might look at this situation and see it as an example of where they can capitalise on the situation. Because as you mentioned, Jim, all too many times they've been squeezed for probably too much money than... Uh, than they should have been that's the territory that comes with being a big club I think Real Madrid probably feel the brunt of that more than anyone look at the fees that they pay for players so you are going to get that being a big club like Manchester United however the amount of transfers we see back and forth this summer I'm fascinated to find out because I have no idea how to predict this does anyone well I guess there's always going to be big money deals though isn't there Marley because you look at some of the deals that are supposed to be happening this summer Pogba leaving United Neymar leaving PSG sometimes players want to move on for personal reasons and if those players are going to move on elsewhere there will be large sums of money involved in that yeah absolutely I think um I think there will still be you know, the same amount of big transfers um, as as there would have been uh, if this if this whole situation wasn't as it was, purely because when people when there is big transfers um, and big money um, exchange between big clubs, then I think there's there's always reasons for it. Like if if um, a team needs a player badly, they're going to be worth that amount of money. So they're not gonna they're not gonna think, well, mm. we we're we're gonna try and lowball the, the selling team a little bit because the selling team will probably just say, well, he'll be worth more next summer, so we're gonna keep him. For example, Pogba might be linked with a hundred million pound move next summer. It might only be worth sixty million if if the summer is it goes ahead as it is now because he hasn't played for you know five six months or whatever it's been. So maybe Man United would think if we are going to sell him, why don't we let him get a season under his belt 
before we uh, before we cash in on him because the situation will be better next year than it is now, and he'll still only be like twenty seven or something like that. So um, there's plenty of of things that might happen. I think uh, <clears throat> I think the the average sort of fee will will be a little bit lower, um, and I think the the types of deals that go through, as as you said before, the the, the loans and the uh, the more cost efficient uh, transfers will still go ahead, but um, We'll have to see because we don't, you know, football clubs are still rich. They still do have money, and they do still have guarantees of of money coming in once the uh, once the TV deals kick back in. So maybe it's mm. not uh, it's not going to affect them too much. Maybe, but I suppose we'll have to see. I think it'll be a quieter window, but I don't think it's going to be completely dead. And we've kind of seen similar scenarios with previous windows, albeit under different circumstances. But you'll have a quiet window. Then it just needs one great big deal and that kind of gets the ball rolling and there's clubs who have cash to spend so United and Barcelona and City and maybe Newcastle there'll be that one great big money deal and suddenly that greases the wheels and the money kind of trickles down to other clubs and it does start moving in some kind of respect that PSG deal for Neymar has just ruined the transfer market for me it's just completely wrecked it because Mm. now any transfer is just drop in the ocean compared to that was it 220 million euro something along those yeah. lines i don't even know what the actual fee was i just kind of looked at it in disgust and tried to block it out of my mind i couldn't believe it so i think the transfer market has been driven up massively because of that and pardon the topical reference but for instance if toilet rolls were five quid a roll you need something to wipe your backside with so you'd pay it right yeah, you, you, you probably yeah <laughs> you'd invest more wisely wouldn't you but certain but certainly <laughs> clubs can price other clubs out of assets now i mean i don't know if you've been watching i think you have been watching haven't you the the sunderland till i die documentary on mm. on netflix uh the second series of that sunderland sold their key striker josh marger to bordeaux in the transfer window last january and I remember reporting on this a couple of times um, from the information I was getting on on Twitter and I was staggered being a League One fan myself that the fee for for Will Grigg, the striker they tried to bring in from Wigan, started off at one one and a bit million, which, okay, they're Sunderland, they're a big club and they need a striker and everyone knows they need a striker because it was documented for all to see. And then it went to two, then to three, and then they got increasingly desperate and ended up bidding nearly four million to sign Will Grigg in League One, which is a ridiculous amount of money for League One. But I also feel that that wouldn't have happened had Neymar not had gone to PSG for 200 and something million, because I do think there is a trickle down in the market. It's natural that that happens. Players from smaller clubs go to bigger clubs for bigger fees. So I think that you will see the signs of clubs getting desperate and splashing more cash. And I think now that teams know that they can get away with spending that sort of money um and still kind of be okay financially then they're going to do it aren't they i just i just think that this is going to be the case we are going to see massive massive deals for the rest of time now unless there is a market crash but i can't see that happening football is only getting more profitable um and more gluttonous so i just i can't see those transfer fees dropping anytime soon although maybe this window might be different due to the circumstances Let's look at some of the rumours that are doing the rounds, some of the transfers that may or may not happen. And we can start in North London with Arsenal, who, according to the Mirror, have pulled out of contract talks with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. This conversation has been going on for best part of a year now, whether he's going to stay at the Emirates Stadium or not. So pulling out of contract talks, I don't know whether that means 
they're going to let him go or whether it means they're going to leave it till the end of the season, keep him for the season because he's got one year left to run on his contract, then let him leave on a free. And if what we've just said about the current transfer market is true, if it's going to be a depressed market, if Arsenal won't get market value for Aubameyang, and they wouldn't have anyway because he's got a year left of his contract, maybe it's actually the right thing to do. Keep him for a year, get value out of him that way, and then let him leave on a free. Yeah, maybe. Um, oh, it's this it's, it's ongoing situation with Aubameyang, isn't it? Um, do you keep him? Do you sell him? I don't think he's been... I mean, he's still Arsenal's best striker, so I'd see... I'd rather have him for another year and let him do what he does. Let Martinelli and Enketia come through a little bit more and then see where you are in terms of the market with with who's available then and then uh, who you've got and who you're happy with at your club because he's still he's still your number one goal scorer. He's your captain of your club, so I don't really understand why why they'd sell him. I don't think you'd get enough for him to be happy. I mean, if you were if you wanted a, a fee from Aubameyang mm. to go and sign another striker, you're going to need at least 50 or 60 million. And is somebody going to pay that in the current market with everything that's going on for a 30-year-old with one year on his contract? I'm not I'm not really sure about that. So I think the value with Aubameyang is get get as much as you can out of him um, and get, get him on another contra- contract if you can because he's still far better than anything they've got up front. Than, he's better than Lacazette. He scores more goals. He's better than Nketiah and Martinelli because they're very they're very young and, and raw and talented, but you couldn't rely on them for the whole season. So, you know, just I'd just keep him. I don't see why don't see why they'd, they'd be in a rush to to get rid of him. So, take that extra year, see where you are, then see what fee you're gonna get, and uh, and decide against it. I would say. I've seen rumours as well that Arsenal might be interested in the Celtic striker Odson Edward if um if Aubameyang leaves. But Marley's right. Why would you even consider letting Aubameyang leave? He's the biggest commodity in football. He is goals. He is goals. I mean, look at his record since he's been at Arsenal. I mean, it's just absolutely unbelievable. He's up there again this season in terms of top goal scorer race for the Premier League this season. But there must be something going on at Arsenal because we've seen this a few times where players are getting close to the end of contracts and it's kind of almost left to the last minute for them to sort it out. It's weird. I mean, if you look at Aubameyang in terms of what he's got left, one year, as you mentioned, Jim, which means that after six months, he can start talking to other clubs. Uh, And he's 30 now or 31 years old. I'm not quite sure the exact age he is. But Arsenal aren't going to qualify for the Champions League. Aubameyang, with the goal-scoring record that he's got, wants to be playing in the Champions League. And who can blame him? He's a good player, one of the best strikers in the Premier League. And he probably does deserve to be playing in the... Champions League. I don't think Arsenal will. For instance, Bukayo Saka, who's come through this season and last season, has been excellent for Arsenal. And yet they've not renewed him to a new contract. I mean, why not? Offer him offer him a good deal, keep him at the club. He's a young prospect. And if he is decent, and for instance, a top, top, top European club, and that's no offence to Arsenal, but I think they've slipped from that bracket over the last 10 years, are interested in Saka, they can sell him for decent money rather than if he goes at the end of next season, he goes for free. So I think Arsenal need to really think about the assets that they've got um, and tying them down to new contracts. Another player that could be sticking around for the long term is David De Gea, who, according to the Mail, now says he wants to stay at Manchester United for many years. But that doesn't kind of dispel the rise in value of Dean Henderson, currently on loan at Sheffield United as well, who's seen by many 
to be the natural contender for that number one jersey. I mean, just because De Gea wants to stay at Manchester United doesn't mean it's the best option for Manchester United, does it? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I think, as, as as we've said on this podcast before, it's, it's time to have a clean break from De Gea. Um, in my opinion, I don't think he's he's been in his top form for probably two and a half years now. Um, he's costing a few more few more goals. I think he's got a bit a bit comfortable at Man United. He's he's kind of. I think when when you want to prove yourself as, as as one of the best in the world, you have a more determination and more concentration about you. And I think he he got to that level at Man United, and then. It's kind of been a little bit downhill from when the uh, the Real Madrid move didn't go through with the dodgy fax machine, which stopped him from going there. Um, all of a sudden, he's on a massive, massive, massive wage at Man United. Um, I think he's on three hundred and fifty grand a week, which literally could be used to get four, probably four other players on, you know, seventy grand a week. So, yeah. When you consider Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think he's only on fifty grand a week. You, you you look at the type of play you can get with his salary, and the fact that you don't have to replace him with anyone because you've already got his replacement. All you have to do is send an email saying to Sheffield United saying Dean Henderson will be coming back at the end of the season, and we're not loaning him out next season because you know we're gonna we're gonna move De Gea on. Um, I think personally, I think for De Gea, I think he should have left. Uh, a couple of years ago, because he would have, he would have won a lot more, and he would have been, he would have fulfilled a, a dream for me. I, th- I think uh, he's been at Man United long enough. He's he's given them enough um, for them to be happy if he did move on, because um, Man United have gone backwards as a club in terms of where they were finishing when he joined and where he, where they're finishing now. Um, he's done his time. I think he should have left, but now, you know, he's, he, you either. What's I saying about if you uh, you stay too long, that you become the bad guy kind of thing? He's um he's he's only his reputation is only getting chipped away out a little bit more, a little mm. bit more. And Henderson's is just going through the roof because he's proved himself to be one of the best goalies in the Premier League, and he's only been playing Premier League football for seven months or something. So, um, for me, move the hair on if you can, um, but. You know he wants to stay, but there shouldn't be any guarantee that if he wants to stay, you should necessarily keep him, because he's eating up a big chunk of that uh, that wage budget, and you could probably still get a command a decent fee for him. Um, and you've also got Alexis Sanchez coming back in the summer if reports are be to uh, to be believed, and he's on half a million quid a week, so you've almost got nearly a million pound a week in wages being chewed up by two players there. So if you do want to still rebuild, you know shift him on. I do wonder how much of De Gea saying, well, I want to stay now, is him wanting to stay and how much of it is the options for a move away, for example, a move to Real Madrid, suddenly aren't really on the table anymore. I mean, Real Madrid spent so much money last window in terms of transfer fees and wages. They're going to struggle to bring anyone in for the next 12 months anyway. So maybe he just has a lack of options now. Yeah, I think the the only place he can he can go... Looking at it is if if somebody makes a massive bid for Jan Oblak at Atletico, then maybe he he could go back there as a as a sort of homecoming for the last you know five six years of his career or whatever it is. But for me, Jan Oblak's the best in the world, and Atletico aren't. So if somebody does need a keeper, ironically, you know someone like Chelsea, for example, 
could they come in and and prize him away and then could the door be open for De Gea to come back to to his hometown club do Manchester United need to replace De Gea I know he's not been as good as he was but he's not he's not a terrible goalkeeper he's not all of a sudden I know he's not what he used to be but he's not awful I mean obviously players depreciate over time and unfortunately for De Gea he's not as good as he was maybe three or four years ago but he's not a terrible goalkeeper Manchester United have got a good, good goalkeeper at the very, very minimum in David De Gea. Why, why are we all so hell bent on replacing him? I don't understand this. I mean, what's the benefit of what's the benefit of getting rid of him? I think it's more to do what they do with Dean Henderson. It's what they do with Dean Henderson, isn't it? And you wouldn't want to keep David De Gea as your goalkeeper on three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week if you're not going to play him at number one. And Dean Henderson is a very promising young keeper who isn't going to stick around forever unless he gets that opportunity. Chelsea had this issue with Czech and Courtois. And mm. Courtois said, Well if you don't play me, I'm leaving. And so they sold Czech to Arsenal. So I mean that's what happened. But it means that Manchester United have got a wealth of talent on their hands. They've also recently signed a new young 16-year-old goalkeeper from Slovakia. They've got yep. goalkeepers coming out of their ears in the academy, trust me I, I can tell you that. So Manchester United need to make a decision. I just don't understand why we're all so keen on replacing De Gea. I don't think he's done that much wrong, has he? I think it's been more to do with him wanting to move away, though, hasn't it? He's wanted to leave United, and now he's saying, no, I want to stick around for a little bit. But as you say, they have a wealth of talent on their hands, so it's how they manage that talent. Mm, Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's a fair point. I mean, again, it's all about kind of putting the pieces in the right place, isn't it? It's That's Mm. that's the, the chess game that is football management and being a director of football is knowing where the pieces go and when to move them on and when to keep them. So that is one of the challenges that they'll face in future. Let's do a rumour from your club, Marley. Newcastle United supposedly interested in Netherlands fullback Jetro Willems. Um, on a permanent basis, he's been on loan, and this is being reported by Goal, that he could be interested in a move to Newcastle. Is it the kind of player that you want to see at St James's Park? It's not someone who I know a massive amount about, but I'm guessing you probably have a little bit more intel on what he's like. Yeah, he's. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't hard to see to see uh, why he would want to stay. I mean, his social media is full of um, messages between him and Newcastle fans and, and also Newcastle players about how much he, he would like to make his, his loan move from Frankfurt to Newcastle permanent in the summer. I think he was he was on course to, to absolutely like cement that option until he'd uh, done an ACL injury a couple of months ago. Um, so that ended his ended his season uh, prematurely, um, but in our system is is perfect for us. Um, in that sort of uh, left wing back role, he's been he's been very very good, very solid, um, decent defensively, and excellent going forward. He's he's very very good on the ball, um, and he's scored a couple of goals as well. He actually scored a, a probably our goal of the season to be honest against uh, against Liverpool at Anfield with his right foot. Um, and he's uh, he got another one as well with his right foot, his weaker right foot. With um, later on in the season, I can't remember who that was against, but um, he's definitely somebody we would look to make part of the uh, part of the squad when this all this all situation gets uh, gets back to some kind of normality. I think we did have a uh, an option as well to make it permanent, like a, a set fee. I think it was somewhere around fifteen million euros. So it's really not that much money in terms of what you're getting I think he's only 25 as well so there is sell on value if you're looking at it from that perspective and there's also the perspective that he's better than anything we've got in the uh, in the squad at the minute and that includes Danny Rose who's who's 30 and on literally probably twice as much money a week so 
uh, it makes sense for him. So whether the new owners uh, act on that or whether they maybe set the sights a bit higher, I, I don't really know. But that's one for that's one to be answered when it can. But I'd certainly like to see him uh, be permanent a permanent member of the Newcastle squad. What's the latest on the big takeover at Newcastle, Marley? Because it seems like it's gone a little bit quiet up there in the last week or so. What are we waiting on at the moment? <laughs> uh, that's a golden golden question, to be honest. Um, for the last the last we we heard and the the latest we know is that it's with the Premier League um, for their their means test. You know the uh, the fit and proper owners test, um, which would suggest it's in its final stage of, of completion this whole takeover um whether whether that can be done as quickly as it normally is with with people you know working from home and and doing whatever maybe it's just dragging on a little bit longer with the with the current situation as it is um but it should, i mean we're hoping as as fans and as a fan base that we can get some kind of announcement this week um, having said that, we we hoped that we'd get it, we'd get it last week, um, because we didn't get it last week. That makes this week the more sensible target for it. So hopefully we can have uh, the end of the Mike Ashley era this this uh, this week and get something with the the whole uh, Saudi investment fund and the PCP partners and the Rubin brothers something together to to signify the end of the austerity that Mike Ashley brought us. I heard there was another rumour, another transfer offer on the table, that it wasn't necessarily just the Saudis that were interesting, that interested, that there was a another potential offer there as well. Is that just a kind of red herring? Um, I heard this as well, but I, do, you, do you remember all the times where Newcastle nearly get taken over in the past and how I didn't fall for anything, I, I didn't believe anything until it was nearly done? I've only just started believing that this Saudi Arabia thing is is very very close. So for then somebody to come in and say, "Oh well, there's a second party interested." My my belief in that second party is where it was when I first heard about all the other 19 rumors that have circulated over the last couple of years. So I don't really believe that there is a genuine rival to this to this takeover bid. Um, there might be interest, but there's interest in 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 anything. Like it's it's to a point where if you were buying a car, you know, um, I'm looking at it. The second party is looking at it from the outside and saying, "Oh, that's a nice car." Whereas the first party, which is the Saudi Arabians, are in the dealership signing the papers for it. So it would take a hell of a lot to for them to be. Uh, for them to take over this, take over the takeover kind of thing, um, and it would also, it, it's your classic mm. thing. You see it, you see it all the time in the transfer market as well. You see, um, you see players being linked with with clubs, and then the club go a bit quiet, and then all of a sudden a mystery, another club comes in, and then it's kind of just to push the original club forward into making a decision. You've seen it with Bruno Fernandes at Man United. Yeah. Everyone knew he was going to Man United, but there was very l- late rumours that. He might go to you know, Chelsea or Spurs or something like that, and it was all wishy-washy, made-up stuff to push forward Man United into making uh, making the announcement and making making progress mm. on the deal. So I think personally that that this is a similar situation to the Newcastle bid. I don't think there's a second bid. Um, if there if there is, it's very very in its embryonic stages. 
rather than uh, anything concrete. So I, I would still assume the Saudi thing will go through. Um, and as soon as we can rip down them bloody spots direct uh, things from the from the from the <laughs> the, f- the fascia of, of St James's Park, then the better. I think your analogy about the car dealership is probably correct, and I think the person standing outside the car dealership is probably Mike Ashley in a false moustache, kind of going, "I'm Ike <laughs> Mashley. I'm interested in buying Newcastle." <laughs> yeah, I think it could be one of them. I mean, how do you feel about the takeover right now? It sounds like you're very positive and you're looking forward to it. And there are these shadows of the human rights issues and whatnot. I think also, potentially from my part, I look at it and go, well, there should be a little bit of caution from Newcastle fans over Mohammed bin, bin Salman himself as well, because he isn't a man with a brilliant sense of business that can drive the club forward. You only have to look at what's happened with oil prices, and he's partly responsible for the drop in negative value anyone who can make make oil a negative value you have to question their business acumen a little bit but he he might not be the right man is what i'm saying is like there should be caution it shouldn't be oh he's got loads of money he's going to reinvent the club yeah um i mean yeah you, you raise a good point i mean we don't know much about him in terms of his his business acumen um however you would say that with a consortium somebody in that consortium knows something about football you would you would hope um, as well as you know Amanda Stavely and I don't know if Peter Kenyon's involved, but he's he's certainly a, a confidant of Amanda Stavely and and a, a sort of consultant for the club. Um, so you'd assume with a consortium of of many many people that between them they can sort something out and and get the right people in the right places. Um, I'm still inclined to to believe they'll they'll have done their homework and and know what they have to do with the club to to get it to a stage where it's bringing in um big money and big big exposure in in certain areas and and what have you whether that be um big fees in the transfer market and and suggest um a, a run for european places and and big managers and what have you um hopefully that's the case but um, to be honest, as long as we're just living within our means, as long as we're just having a go, I'm I'm happy because for the last eleven years, Mike Ashley has ran it like a business, and he's run it as a money making scheme to to line his own pockets, and that's how you that's how you'd normally run a normal business, make it for a profit. But football's a little bit different, um, and there is there is big profits to be had. You've just got to be ambitious and take that. Uh, take that uh, risk of, of getting there and that the big money is the Champions League places so to do that you have to you have to speculate to accumulate you have to go backwards to go forwards in terms of financials and hopefully uh, hopefully the new guys can do that and we can have a, a new dawn on, on Newcastle and actually have a go at doing something because there's been 11 years of fans just getting gradually annoyed and not coming to the stadium and falling out of love with the game because of this idiot taking over and plastering is uh, Slazenger socks and Donne caps everywhere, so finally <laughs> we can get rid of him and we can, whether that means, uh, you know, human rights issues and what have you, I think a lot of fans would, would to be honest, would, would, would take that. So, um, yeah, everyone's pretty happy, I think. We'll obviously be keeping an eye on the latest news to come out of Newcastle. Along with all the other news out of the Premier League over the next few weeks, make sure you click subscribe to the podcast. However you listen, there'll be a little button in Acast or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever you use. Click subscribe or follow and we'll get you the episodes as soon as they're ready. But that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Marley, Niall, thank you very much, boys. Cheers, guys. Thank you.
and we'll see you next time. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats.